Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Hello, everybody. It's Liam. Before we jump into this week's episode, a bonus episode on Superman, directed by Richard Donner and featuring special guest host Sean Mannion, I wanted to read a quick review. We got a new review this month. Thank you so much. Um, It's five stars. The title is Great Film Podcast, and it's from Straight Up Overkill. That's Straight Up Overkill with an eight instead of an A-I- G-H-T. Straight up overkill. Have I explained it enough? I'm not sure. Here's the review. There aren't enough film podcasts where the hosts are knowledgeable and these guys know what they're talking about. The conversations are always lively, even from the first episode. Looking forward to diving into all the episodes and following along with the deep dives. Straight up overkill. First of all, I appreciate your name. I talked about it for a while. And I thank you for the review. It's always nice to get a review. It's always helpful, gets more listeners to the show. Please, if you have a chance, at least give us a five-star review. Please write something if you have time. We appreciate it. Okay, that's it. That's all you're going to hear from me this episode. Enjoy Sean and George talking about Superman. I'm George Fogopoulos. I'm Sean Mannion. (gasps) Special guest host. And this is a very special episode of Uberbusters. You did it, Sean. Yes. Excellent. You fucking nailed it. I think it's weird that you guys called it Egg Busters. <laughs> we've gotten all sorts of, we've gotten Uber Beats. My friend Paul said like, oh, Uber Beats, right? Like, no, Uber Beats would have been a great one. Egg Busters, that would have also been a great one. It's a good thing also you nailed it because Liam said if we didn't get at least the opening right, he would send assassins for us. I mean, you know Liam. He is he, a perfectionist. He is. He is. I mean, or at least that's what he likes everybody to think. <laughs> that's what he likes everybody to think, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm a perfectionist. I'm like, your, your pants are unzipped. <laughs> it's his professional kind of decorum. It's the way he carries himself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He walks into a room and he's like, I know what I'm doing. And then everybody turns and says, it's the, it's the room next door. Yeah. <laughs> So, in this very special episode of Uberbusters, kind of uh, as a side kind of detour, side adventure, mm-hmm. um, with our ongoing deep dive into the Batman mythos, we've decided to do a special episode on Superman from 1978, directed by Richard Donner. Yes. Um, and before actually we started recording this, I thought that this was your idea, <laughs> and you were like, wait, it was? And apparently Liam tasked you, 
or asked you at the very least <laughs> to do a special episode. So thank you for Absolutely. appearing on the podcast. I think I can't remember. I might have suggested it, but I don't think I did. Did his check clear, by the way? Did his check clear? I mean, I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. You are here. That doesn't mean the check cleared or not. Oh, it does. Yeah. So we'll be discussing, yeah, 1978's uh, Superman, Superman and thinking about it alongside Batman, but also thinking about it, obviously, as an amazing kind of film on its own. I haven't seen this oh, film in a fucking long time, but it was so much fun revisiting Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I haven't watched it in a few years, definitely. How long has it been? I've definitely watched it... So- I've definitely watched it since I moved to New York. So within the last decade, I've watched it at least once. Uh, but I've seen it so many times since I was a kid. It's been one of my favorites since forever. It's like, a great film. It's so it's much fun. Amazing. It has so many. Well, first of all, it's got so many like like top of their game people. Like Donner was what I think right before this was the Omen or. Not long before this was The Omen. I forgot that he did The Omen. Yeah, that's right. Oh, Donner's one of my favorite, like, he he's I, he's one of those directors who's just like, uh, he's, a, he's a craftsman. He's a... Totally. You just plug him in. You know, the entire Lethal Weapon series. Uh, did he do Scrooged, all four? All four of them. Did, okay. He did all four uh, Lethal Weapons. He did Scrooged. He did The Omen. He did um, that conspiracy movie, I think, with... Um, with uh, with Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson Robert. and Julia Roberts, oh, conspiracy theory, right? Yeah, conspiracy theory. Uh, and there's a bunch. You start going through his list, and you're like, oh, like he did Maverick also with with Mel Gibson. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But you just, you just like he and and then he's doing Superman the movie. And if you if you want like seventy five percent of Superman two, and if you watch the Richard Donner cut, all of Superman two. Yeah. So there is a Donner cut of Superman two. There is. They released it about a decade ago on DVD. Did not know that. It's he. Most of the familiar Superman two is what he shot because they were shooting these movies concurrently. concurrently yeah. Uh, and then I was actually just looking up early this morning before you came around uh, a little bit more about the the behind the scenes for that because I can always I always forget it and it's like there was tension between Donner and the Salkins who were the producers. the producers of this and then the next three movies and then also there was a Superboy TV series in the late 80s that they did uh, and there was tension like almost like just weeks into the making of this movie yeah about him going over budget and it went way over budget apparently way over budget. although it also made a shit ton of money for the oh, time oh I'm sure I saw that so on, on Wikipedia because I did a lot of obviously a lot of research by going to Wikipedia. Sure. Um, the budget was around at least maybe the initial budget something like fifty five million, but it yeah. pulled in like three hundred million. Oh, I believe that. And fifty five million was too. huge for the time. Oh my god! Yeah, I think it was at the time it was the most expensive film ever made, which makes sense. I mean, watching it again today and just like thinking about that. I'm like looking at just some of the flying sequences like yeah sometimes the compositing is eh, but sometimes there's shots where he's like in the distance flying and I'm like how the fuck they do that some of it's really impressive yeah and also I think like the set designs really impressive especially oh, yeah. at the very beginning with like Krypton like there's a very interesting and fascinating aesthetic and they knew exactly yeah. what they were doing um, but maybe before we do a deep dive sure, into sure. the film do you want to say a little bit about your own relationship to the character uh, sure uh, I've been a, a Superman fan since I was I, I don't even know I've been a comic book nerd since I was a kid and always uh, 
um, Superman was always in there. I remember very distinctly the year of like the death of Superman's story yeah, when I was yeah. growing up was 92 or something like it was that. Was, huge. It was a huge cultural event. It was, yeah, it was like on the news. I remember even like trying to call a comic book shop to see if they had the death issue. And Same. they're like, no. <laughs> and so, but I had, but a few months later, you know, I got the, the trade paperback with the, all the, the whole storyline. And I read that so many times as a kid, cause it's just such a, it's such a good Superman story. I've been a huge Superman fan with that, with this movie, with the character. Like, I mean, I have, like I, I broke out like before he came, I've got this complete history of Superman book. And I've got a couple of the, I've got the Grant Morrison All-Star Superman and the Mark Wade Superman birth, birthright collected uh editions of the of the of his uh stories um Superman stories there and um as far as I can't remember the first time I saw this movie um but we watched it when I was a kid and I know it was one of the first DVDs we got and we would rewatch it then my dad um, my dad loved DVDs when they first came out because uh -huh. he loved that you could pause it and zoom in. So he would <laughs> yeah. do that for stuff. Like um, one of those examples in this movie was because um, he would love to like do that and then like, hey, do you see that thing? Um, uh, or he would try to catch like continuity errors and like psycho. But with this yeah. one, when there's the, what do you call it? They, they get mugged. Yeah, oh, it's a very, yeah. Uh, about uh, yeah, 45 minutes through, in, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they get mugged and he's like, do you see, he pauses it and he says, do you see, do you see the sign behind them? I'm like, yeah. And the sign is for a company. And I noticed it again this time, the sign is for a company called Optimo. And he's like, eh, you see what they did there? And I was like, no, Acme and Optimo uh -huh. are synonyms. So uh -huh. it was like, it's, they're like, we need a generic company name. That's a deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> Your dad was really like getting into those details. Yeah, he just he was just like loved that 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 was like a thing he could do, and so I remember that. But we watched this a bunch of times, and uh, my relationship with the character has always been really strong. Uh, about fifteen years ago, I um, had some friends who were running the Pacific Rim Literary Conference in Alaska, where I grew up and where I was going to school. And one of them who was running the, the festival, the not festival the conference that year, that year, which had something to do with like multimedia. I can't remember what it was about. He calls me up and he says, Hey, you told me you had an idea for a paper on like Star Trek and, and, uh, and Shakespeare. Do you think we're kind of short on papers? Do you think you could actually like submit something about that? And I said, uh, yeah, let me think about it. And I can't remember how it happened, but I ended up instead going like, is it cool if I send you a, if I get you a paper on Superman as like a, as like a multimedia mythology? Because a lot of like yeah, Superman's yeah. story is, um, like a lot of the common things that we understand about Superman's story are, from different kinds of media right and you were saying this earlier too yeah yeah, yeah. we were talking about it. it like there's things like uh kryptonite was invented for the radio show which i had no idea i thought it was a comic book thing yeah it was and they, and it then they really ran with it in the comic books but it was a uh, it was uh it was created for the radio show because they needed something 
that could work for audio. They're like, okay, we need something like we can make a weird sound and, Oh, there's kryptonite. I, and, uh, there's other things like, I think even Krypton wasn't named until the newspaper strip because originally, and this was a fun thing I learned back then. And it's in the, the book I've got here is back when Superman was created, the comic book was the lesser medium. It was right. everybody wanted a daily newspaper strip, and Siegel and Schuster were trying to sell a daily newspaper strip, and they were trying to get Superman as a daily newspaper strip. Nobody was taking it. Nobody was taking it. The action comics story was their like, which is you know classic now, and just such a sort of a really like, in a lot of ways, made the comic book, uh like a, such a viable like sort of medium on its own um they wanted to do a newspaper strip and so they're like well this is our like other choice let's just do this action comics thing and see if see if anybody's into it and that did really well and then they got to do their newspaper strip and in the newspaper strip is when they finally named like he's from the planet krypton i think it's the first time that you actually even meet his birth parents even huh. is in those so there's all these things yeah that um that come from and i think one of the things and i might be wrong about this one and it would and it would be particularly bad for me to be wrong about anything on this podcast because we're wrong I, about things all the fucking time wrong about things bad. all the time but one thing that Liam always knows when I'm listening because he gets text messages from me with corrections. <laughs> well, Liam's listening to this and he will definitely also, well, he could also just edit out our mistakes. At it's some true. Point. Yeah. Cause you'll be sending him the file, but is there a particular iteration of the character, at least in comic book form that stands out to you? Like I never, for example, read like the John Byrne or Byron. I think it's Byrne. Oh, like I think man it's of Byrne, steel. Yeah. yeah. Like the man of steel, like reboot that was, in the mid to late eighties. You know, now that you mention him, that's who's, I now remember the first Superman story I read, uh, which was by him in a collection from, uh, I don't think they do it. I think they, they go in and out of doing this, but like DC Comics was publishing in the late 80s. They would publish these like prestige format books that were collections of some of their stories called The Secret Origins. And one of the first comic books I had was one of those. And it had... Uh, part of an origin for Batman. It had a version of the Flash's origin that also had his death from the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, it had Martian Manhunter, and it had a Superman story by John Byrne mm-hmm. that takes place. It's basically a short story about the first time Superman finds out about Krypton. Okay. Where like a a a, a projection from uh from his his spaceship, like that's his dad, uh shows up and is like and is speaking this other language and then he starts to learn about Krypton and Lana Lang is there and stuff and that was the first I think Superman story I read. And for me, look like Marlon Brando in the comic strip. No, it was totally there was there was a really weird design in the late eighties nineties where they're like. It kind of looks like it, but they're wearing like black body suits with like weird frills and big green like smocks. Okay. Like everybody from Krypton wore that in those in those late 80s books. It looked nothing like it. But for me at that point, like that was the first Superman I saw and I think that that's always been the my favorite like look for Superman is the way that John Byrne did him. But I've read um off and on, like, 
uh, the books, I definitely, like I was saying, I read the the death of Superman thing over and over, and Dan Jurgens. Um, interpretation of the character at that time was great and I think it was Louise Simonson was writing for some of the books right, at the yeah, time yeah. too and the she's great the old um, run right because that was like one of the like because I think so like yeah four or five well maybe four yeah. right yeah there were different Superman titles yeah there was Action Superman Comics, mm-hmm. Superman yeah. um, Superman Man of Steel and what the fourth one was, but what was it might have been a fourth one. And I think there, yeah, definitely four because of the the fact that when they rebooted him, there were four different Superman, right? And they each what got their own it? title. Superman, it was Superman, Man of Steel, it was Action Comics, and it was. It'll come to us. It'll come. Somebody It'll will come. definitely because I know I know other ones. Yeah, yeah. Please, I please know. do tweet us and correct us. Absolutely, because uh, I know other ones that they did later, like Superman, Man of Tomorrow, was briefly a, a comic book, but. Um, yeah, I feel like it's like whatever one that was, whatever one that Superboy appeared in when they rebooted S- Superboy could be adventure adventures. Comics? Yeah. Were the adventures of oh, Superman? Adventures of Superman. That's of Superman. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they had four running Superman books. And I mean, I definitely like love parts of that era because it was both a little bit serious, but also did not shy away from being weird. Like that's the era of uh, Lex Luthor Jr., Lex Luthor Two. Oh, where the clone, he, yeah, the clone with the with, red with hair. the red hair. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and the beard, and he's supposed to be Australian. That's right. I forgot that he's supposed to be Australian. And then he has a thing going with like Supergirl, who's not like Supergirl, right? Yeah, she's like an alien that's kind of like a she's shapeshifter. Like, yeah, she's a shapeshifting alien. Matrix was in her name Matrix. She's Matrix. Wow, yeah, it's all, com- it's all coming back. <laughs> it's to all me. coming back. And that was a fun version of Supergirl too, because she was, because they had this these rules at DC comics at that time, when they rebooted everything after the crisis on infinite earth, they were like, okay, Superman is the only survivor of Krypton. And then writers were like, okay, but what if I want to do Superboy? And they're like, he's a clone. He's a clone yeah. What if we want to do Supergirl? It's an alien from a different dimension. That's in love with Lex Luthor and is a shapeshifter. Sure. Okay. Run with it. Yeah. Well, that was also their attempt to kind of get uh, away from all like that campy stuff. Yeah, the, that had just been building up for like e- de- well decades. That's yeah, like yeah, point. yeah. And it's I think that like the best versions have always had like a nice balance of like okay, we embrace like some of the like I think this movie like it embraces the camp, but it doesn't. I think one of the things that I think is great about this movie is it embraces the campiness. And the comic nature, the comic book nature, without w- without saying that means that this is a joke. They, they they take the character seriously while embracing the camp, and I think that that's one of the things that really works. Like I was noting to myself throughout watching it, I was like, he makes jokes throughout it, and it's charming. He does, yeah, yeah. And the and the chemistry between him and Lois Lane, obviously, is oh yeah, by Margot Kidder. It's so dynamic, but also you yeah. can tell like they're just having fun and it's yeah. kind of like silly it's flirtatious but it totally totally works yeah it totally does and i think a lot of the best versions of the character like they take him seriously and understanding that taking him seriously means you also have to embrace that it's fantastical and sort of ridiculous i'm glad you used that term too because that's definitely my notes as well and thinking about let's say this in relationship to batman 89 yeah and thinking about their ver- their different versions and different kind of takes on the urban sorry mm-hmm. sorry for the pun but like the urban metropolis yeah and that like i was watching this like holy shit this is like sydney lamette's new york 
Like at some yeah. point, of like, is he gonna like team up with Serpico and like you know <laughs> fucking fight some you know, corrupt cops? But this is like a really gritty version of New York. Yeah. But at the same time, it does lean into that kind of like fantastical, obviously, yeah. um, fable like. Um, imagery or let's say kind of just kind of mythos that's essential to the character yeah absolutely and i think i think that's kind of the best thing is like he's in our world but it's a little bit more wild it's yeah like i think even and i haven't looked this up so i might be wrong but i think even one of the cops that's following otis when they go underground Mm -hmm. i think he's the captain in um Die Hard 3 and Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh, I think wow. he's John McClane's captain. That's amazing. <laughs> I was like, that he's guy looks familiar. Force. Yeah, yeah he's force, like, yeah. he's still Decades there. later, yeah, of course. Yeah. Where is he Superman was just away during De- Die Hard with a Vengeance. Otherwise, McClane wouldn't have had to do anything. I mean, are you trying to say that John McClane is not <laughs> Superman? I mean, come on. John McClane is clearly... <laughs> he's, he's a Superman. He's, he's not he's, the he's, Superman. He's, yeah, he's like, he's like a Superman. So let me just quickly go over the plot <laughs> of this yeah. film. So... Um, it's really interesting because it's a very it's a very intense kind of like deep dive into Superman's origins. He doesn't oh, yeah. even appear as Superman until an hour into the film. Was Absolutely. It, which is kind of incredible. So the film begins with a setup actually for Superman 2, which we already kind of said that. Oh, yeah. This was filmed co- concurrently with Superman 2. Uh, with Jor-El, of course, Marlon Brando, Superman's father, banishing General Zod, played mm-hmm. by Terrence Stamp, and his two followers into the Phantom Zone. So like a total setup for the sequel. And right then and there, a couple of minutes later, the planet of Krypton obviously yeah. is destroyed, but not before, obviously, uh, Jor-El sends his only begotten son, mm-hmm. kal to Earth, where he's adopted by Martha and Jonathan Kent. And then the, from there on, the film um, shows us his teenage years, uh, where he's kind of like an outsider despite his powers. He grows up, um, he goes to the Arctic after he yeah. finds that, like, which I initially saw, I was like, is that kryptonite? Why would his dad give him this I was green making a shard. note of that, too. The green shard is such a, speci- the green is such a specific yeah. Superman thing that I I don't know. And it's weird <laughs> yeah. because it doesn't, maybe I missed it, but it doesn't really explain why he finds this shard and he just knows, I need to take this thing to the Arctic and launch it there. And then yeah. it will grow into the Fortress of Solitude. But that's what he does. That's what he does. He's just like. I, I I think I always interpret it as like it's communicating with him and we just don't. We just it's don't just know so it. alien that we don't get it. Correct. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I like. Like I have mixed feelings about the whole like Krypton crystal palaces thing. Mm-hmm. I don't love it for des- for design purposes, but at the same time, I also love it's so alien. Yeah. You mean the sort of the design in the, in this film or just the in design? Did, yeah. Well, the design in general because it gets reused. The, the the crystal nature of Krypton and oh, stuff like okay, that. Right. It's cool, and I like it in this film, and I like that they that it is so alien. Uh, but at the same time, there's parts of me that are like, but I'd also like that everything wasn't just crystals. Yeah. I'll, I want to ask you about that because I, sure, sure. I watching it again, I thought the design was interesting and kind of intentional. But Okay, so he goes yeah, to yeah, the totally. Arctic. He fucking throws his green shard. The Fortress of Solitude emerges magically out of it. And then there's like this really interesting kind of montage where you get the impression that he's been spending years. Either it in says the 12 fortress, years. Yeah, either in the fortress or traveling because there's also all like these um, yeah. interesting kind of celestial images. Yeah. It gets kind of almost like 2001-y. It gets very abstract both yeah. during his journey from Krypton and then during that. It gets very I was yeah I was noting that I'm like there's all this abstract imagery in the movie when they're like what's space like? It's fucking weird man. Yeah. So I'm like 
is he traveling into space and is he looking for like the remnants of Krypton like he does in Superman Returns or is he just in the fortress and we're supposed to assume that these are kind of like images that he's seeing there? I think I, think I always interpreted it as the as the latter, but I think it's it I think they're very I think they're very vague about it. Yeah. Like they're like oh. he learns about shit. Yeah. That's and he, it. And he's there for a very long time. And then he, and then the movie shifts to Metropolis, where we get him fully as kind of like the Clark Kent that we know of. Like yeah. The, the intrepid reporter. Lois Lane is introduced. Um, Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor is also introduced as the main villain. We should also talk about him too, because he's like a real estate developer. I love that. And that's, amazing. I love that. And it's also. It's sort of terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and basically the major plot of his villainy, which again, at this point, we're like an hour and 15 in, is yeah. you find that that he wants to destroy half of California. He wants to sink half of California to the sea because he's been buying a whole bunch of um, desert or let's say deserted yeah. parts of California. And then when he destroys the half um, that is populated, then the rest of it, which he owns, will eventually become super, super valuable. Yeah. Um, Superman, of course, prevents him from doing as such, in part by fucking reversing the rotation reversing of the time. Earth. <laughs> yeah, which is again incredible, um, and that's pretty much where the film ends. And yeah, yeah that's Superman, nineteen seventy-eight. Yeah, but going back to the Fortress of Solitude thing, I, rewatching it, I thought, oh, it's great because it's replicating the Arctic wasteland is replicating yeah. the stuff on Krypton. Yeah. And that the juxtaposition, I think of like Krypton's kind of coldness and like sterility yeah. is then also kind of reversed with the, like the warmth of the heartland and like those cornfields. Yeah. And like the glow of that place. I think, yeah, visually it's just, I, that which is another thing I was, I was noting is like, there's some, just gorgeous cinematography and uh in the heartland in kansas for smallville like there there's that one shot i was sort of in awe of because i guess i was paying more attention than than usual uh where uh when uh when ma kent is coming out to talk to him when he's like i gotta go yeah, uh, yeah. and it's just it's just like her in the distance and this super wide shot of these fields and then it pans down to as she's walking up to him and he's standing there and you get this conversation in this one gorgeous shot yeah it's a beautiful movie at it is. times i got i got like terrence malick vibes watching the film like days yeah. of heaven i was like holy shit this is like something out of days of heaven with like the beautiful cornfield and how like mournful everything is and how yeah. wistful he is it's it's and I think I think that's a good observation as far as like the differences between that and Krypton, which is very sterile in the movie. It's very cold feeling. Um, and I think I think my my thing has always been with the crystals is uh, is I guess I guess there's part of me that's like, yeah, it's cool. It's sci fi, but also like let's have some buttons and some colors and stuff oh yeah see i like the fact that like everything operates yeah. on like these weird crystals yeah it's kind of it felt very alien in that yeah. kind of sort of sense yeah and i i definitely like noting it noting this time i was i was like i mean they they definitely went very like krypton is like uh i probably have a note here that was something something along the lines of like sufficiently advanced technology looks like magic and everything in krypton looks like magic yeah good point yeah <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> also, I, sorry, I forgot to mention it too. Okay. The bizarre frame narrative that I totally fucking forgot. Of, oh, the of beginning. Like, like the kid reading the comic book. Yeah, yeah. And that also then being projected on a movie theater screen. Yeah. I do not remember that at all. I I, I, I had a note about that. It was, I was like, this is really kind of fascinating. 
A because I, I totally forgot about it, but also obviously because it lends it this well, very obviously meta quality. To yeah, it. and I think two of the things that I thought were really, uh, or three, I guess, things that I thought were really interesting about that were that it doesn't shy away from it being comics, which is a thing that sometimes happens. I think that's one one of the things that can has hindered some of the Batman movies. Is like it's not because it's a kid reading it too. Yeah, They're like yeah, it's yeah. not for kids. It's not for kids. It's Batman serious movies. Right. And I'm like, yeah, okay, but like he's for kids. Um, and and that's fine. And this is fine. Like, and uh, I think the other thing is like the first thing that the kids talking about. It's not talking about Superman. It's talking about the Daily Planet, and it's talking ah, about journalism yeah, yeah, yeah. and hope. Yeah, but it doesn't mention Superman. It's just it's just like it's like the. The Daily Planet and intrepid reporters and hope, and it's like, and that's the context it's giving you. It's not like, oh, the world needs a savior. It's just that there are people doing good work out there in the world. Um, and the other, the other, I, the other note that I had is a nitpicky, um, is a nitpicky nerd thing, which is technically, in his first appearance, Superman worked at the Daily Star. Not oh. the Daily Planet, which wasn't introduced until later. Yeah, but that doesn't really matter. But it was a funny. It was I just one of those like oh, I'm just gonna be a big nerd. Notes. I really liked also that which again I, yes, okay. the echo of like obviously the, the Daily Planet is kind of like a reference to kind of interstellar origins as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I love uh, I love that as it's yeah it um <laughs> and it and that it's planet is kind of interesting because it totally, kind yeah. of divorces him from like because batman to 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 talk briefly about the the you know the the season topic is all about gotham and it definitely comes up in his stories it's like shit's going on in the rest of the world he's like yeah but like this one street in gotham good point yeah like somebody got mugged and they're like literally the world will explode nobody gives a shit about that street bruce yeah. i don't care well he'll, yeah he'll, he'll like erupt or he'll like spontaneously combust if he if he leaves gotham within a certain kind of like mile range or something so this is also a good point to maybe talk about superman as a character mm -hmm. as a mythology and what he represents and also what he might represent in relationship to batman yeah, I was thinking about that when we were watching it. I was thinking about like the differences. And I think one of the things that I was thinking about, and one of the things that I thought really was highlighted in this movie is, or, or, and they're related, I guess, two things. One is like foundational trauma of the Good characters. Yeah. Is Superman's is, if we just go to like the most common thing and the thing that's at the beginning is his parents saved him. Mm -hmm. he, yeah, yeah. he's alone because his parents saved him with Batman it's he's he's alone because his parents were taken from him and one of the things I noted in this movie was throughout the movie it's not a Superman doesn't appear to stop crime Superman doesn't appear to stop Lex Luthor he doesn't appear to do any of these things Superman's entire motivation from the first time he shows up to save Lois Lane is saving people. That's it. Like he stops a couple of crimes. Yeah. He stops the cat burglar he, and he just, and he makes That's a joke right, yeah, about it. Yeah. And then there are those, uh, the, the bank robbers or whatever who get are getting away on the boat on the and boat. he gets on the boat. And then there's Lex Luthor. That's all the crimes he stops. Everything else is, is disasters. Yeah. Superman is all about saving people and Batman is all about 
crime. Yeah, good point, yeah. And I think that they get conflated sometimes, but I think one of the things that really makes this work and makes the character work and makes, like, okay, so there's a guy who can fly and he can lift a mountain and he can go in space and he shoots lasers from his eyes. So how's anybody going to do anything? Well, he's not there to stop crime. He's not... and all the criminals he interacts with have committed their crimes already. He doesn't try to stop anybody from committing a crime. Like there's a certain level of like respect for like you're a, like you haven't committed a crime yet. So like, ha, like it would be wrong for me to do anything. But then once they've done it, he's like, well, you're, you guys are going to have to give that money back now. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain kind of interesting, um, like moral dichotomy obviously between the two of them that like for example in the comics it kind of like reaches its kind of apotheosis in the dark knight returns yeah which i think maybe might be one of the first times at least that i know of where they like actually fight one another yeah i think usually they wouldn't fight yeah yeah. and, and that's like a kind of obviously um a powerful representation of the fact that they are supposed to be like very very different mm-hmm. um characters that yeah there's a certain kind of let's say moral clarity with which superman views the world and what you get in this film and like batman has all like the darkness and the brooding and kind yeah. of that the world is not just like black and white good and evil mm-hmm. that there's a complexity to it and i think it's interesting to kind of just in the mo- in that kind of very reductive way to think yeah. about them as like oppositional yeah i think i think they are and i also i had a sort of disparaging note but um, <laughs> about like superman or clark kent about batman ah. um, uh, because as I was watching it, I, I made these two notes about the differences between Batman and Superman. Batman is a broody edgelord who lives in his parents' basement. <laughs> Almost like, literally. literally yeah, lives yeah. in his parents' basement. And Superman's an immigrant, and he's somebody who in repeatedly, like first he, he, well, he doesn't really leave safety when his parents send him away at first, but he leaves like the safety and security of home with Martha, with his mom. Like he could have stayed on the farm. Yeah. There was nothing preventing him from staying on the farm. And he tries to just make his new home, Earth, Metropolis, a better, safer place for everybody. Yeah. And I think that's a really big difference between those characters is that Batman is like trying to punish people or trying to, he's not really about, I mean, at times he's certainly written to be about saving people, but it's a lot more about an angry child in search about of revenge. Trauma. Yeah, yeah. It's about different ways, mm-hmm. let's say. To, um, it's interesting to think about these two characters as two different types of people that, um, as you already said, kind of process generational trauma in completely different ways. Yeah, yeah. And and because they have very different, like they both are orphans, but they're both orphaned for different reasons. And that, even though that movie sucks, but the Justice League movie in which mm-hmm. kind of they, in a very, very terrible way, like bond over their moms is oh, an oh, interesting the... like <laughs> representation of the fact that these characters are at least in that kind of sense that they're both orphans. Yeah. Um yeah, it it actually addresses that. Yeah, I I still I uh, I saw Man of Steel and I refused to watch ba- Batman versus Superman cuz I was like I'm not going to fucking watch oh, this. That's terrible. And I watched just I did watch Justice League cuz I'm like, you I'm know sorry, what? Batman versus Superman I said Justice yeah, no, League. No, no, it's yeah, totally yeah, fine. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh going to get but, tweets on that. So oh my god. Uh, if you get, if y'all aren't already getting like release the Snyder cut <laughs> treats, not. don't okay. even. Thankfully, we're not not yet. It'll happen. Yeah. Um, I have a few people who like started following me. And I followed them back and like film Twitter related things that it's a th- that they like say this release the Snyder cut stuff or if it's in their their Why? their their name Why? and I'm like, 
you know what? You otherwise seem fine. So I'm just going to mute you. Um, Have people seen the other stuff that Zack Snyder just done? They love it. I don't understand. How? how? Anyway. Anyway. But, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've heard about the, the, that they kind of have a moment where they bond over that. And I'm like, that sounds nice. Um, Justice League I watched because I was like, I wanted a Justice League movie, not necessarily that Justice League, but a Justice League movie since I was a kid. So I was like, all right, let's see what they do. And I just, I got really fucked up when I watched it. Oh, uh, okay. And well, I, I like, like, tweeted it. it super drunk. <laughs> so, an Aqua Wait, Bro. Was that recently? Uh, no. That was, no. I was doing what Star Wars tweet? recently. Oh, uh, that's what it was. Okay. I did the yeah, whole yeah, yeah. Star Wars recently. That, I was, yes, I was paying attention to you live tweeting Star Wars. I was like, but was that Justice League? No. No, Justice League was two years ago, maybe? I just. I have to go back into your, I just your kept, Twitter, uh, tw- uh, tweet history and find that. That's a. Uh, Maybe not retweet. the best pursuit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should, yeah, we should find that. It was, but I kept referring to Aquaman during that as Aqua Bro, and both in because I was like, this is ridiculous, but also because I was like, this is kind, that's kind of fun though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because I do enjoy Jason Momoa, uh, but uh, but yeah, the their dynamic like Bat- Superman's barely in that movie, but like their dynamic there. But when people talk about yeah, we got to release the Snyder cut of that. I'm like, look, Joss Whedon already did a shitty enough job. No clue what they're talking about. I don't I don't need to see a worse version of that movie. It's pretty bad as pretty it is. Bad. But uh, cuz yeah, Man of Steel like had moments, but then what it misses is what this this movie gets so well, which is that the core of the character is not that he can fly. It's not even that he's an alien. It's the core of the character is it's some it's the it's the last thing that it's the last line of the movie. It's when Lois Lane says Superman cares about it. Or it's not the last line of the movie, but it's her last line of the movie. Super, Superman cares about everybody. When when Jimmy Olsen's like, I think right. he really cares about you. And she's oh, like, yeah, yeah, Clark, yeah. yeah, I guess. And he's like, no, Superman. And she's like, Superman cares about everybody. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's, that's a thing that like, they knew that in that movie. Like that was, that's, that holds true throughout the whole thing is that, and it holds true in Christopher Reeve's performance. He gen, he even cares He's about amazing. Lex Luthor. Oh my God. Yeah. I couldn't believe he was like in his late twenties when he, yeah. When he made this Christopher Reeve was like so fucking good. He was, so good. he, he's just, he's perfect at it. He's perfect. He's, he was the, it was, that was one of those times where it's just the, the right casting. And I mean, he was good in other things too, but I think like there's some things where it's less like, you're Superman. Yeah. And um, and it was so unfortunate what what happened to him. Even though the movies really really well, they, went downhill, they did. Uh, yeah, I've, it's been <laughs> you know it's been a while since I've seen the second one. But I remember when I was younger thinking that the second one was better than the first one. But I would like to revisit it and see if that's the case. I think the second one, like the second one, has more sort of action to it, and it and it's it's really in a lot of ways it's the second half of this movie. In some ways, this movie, although it is a whole on its own, which I which I think is important, um, is still just the first half of the story. Because what happens at the end of this movie is what starts the next movie. The fact that he throws that missile into space—that's what releases Zod and everybody, and, and right, Non yeah. and Ursa from the from the Phantom Zone. Um, love the Phantom Zone. Love the, love the weird, <laughs> the, the, flat. The, yeah, the mirror, yeah, or the, whatever the fuck it is, the cellophane wrapping that they get stuck in. Oh, it's but amazing. also how terrified they are when it like appears and kind yeah. of like, slowly comes from the horizon. Like so good. It it reminded me of what did I what did it remind me of? It reminded me of the rover from the prisoner. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, it has yeah, that yeah. kind of vibe to it, which I hadn't watched, uh, I think, since the last time I watched this. I hadn't watched that much of The Prisoner. I still have never actually finished The Prisoner. I'll like watch one or two episodes like every like year or two. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like really into it, but then I'm also like, okay, but that's enough. Um, but like, yeah, it was this time I was like, this is kind of like The Rover. And they maybe not consciously, but it has that same kind of like visceral deep psychology feel to it where it's like this is something from my nightmares yeah and spe- so going back also a little bit to kind of the dichotomy between these two um superheroes but also oh wait, and also briefly we should say before i forget too which not breaking new ground here but a lot of people have pointed out that superman also as you said is kind of like an immigrant mm-hmm. um interesting also to think about him as kind of a so um seagull's parents fled lithuania to escape okay. anti-semitism yeah so it's interesting also to think about like superman also as like not only just like an immigrant but like a jewish immigrant yeah who's like escaping like anti-semitism and I, the stories clearly yeah. can easily be read as, as an allegory for not just obviously like the general let's say immigrant story of somebody who escapes persecution or is looking for a better life but also in particular like as a very kind of specific immigrant story of like a Jew escaping anti-Semitism. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think one of the things that sometimes people miss is and it's a thing that it happens too much in media but it's definitely a thing in Man of Steel is trying to make Superman a Christ figure because Superman's a Moses figure. Huh. Oh yeah, because okay. of the, the parents though. Yeah, the parents and like, you know, being adopted and like... Although there's I, somebody in the, that would play God it would definitely be Marlon Brando. Yeah, <laughs> be a pretty good God. <laughs> it's true. It's true, and it's sending us sending his son off. Go around the Vatican, and just like repaint all of like Michelangelo's like gods with like it's, visages of Marlon Brando. It's funny that you. It's funny that you mentioned that too, because one of the things that was in I was looking through notes about Superman two and about the production issues, and in that movie, apparently the way that Superman is supposed to get his powers back was supposed to be a recreation of this the the roof the Sistine Chapel with Adam and God. It was supposed to look like that. Oh, and they, that's amazing. The producers were like, that's a little much. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, yeah, but also that would have been amazing. Brando and Brando and uh and Reeve doing touching that fingers. across yeah, touching yeah, yeah. fingers across. But uh I mean there's always gonna be, I think, that I mean even um even Lois Lane in the in the Can You Read My Mind uh poem or whatever it is that poem i I, it was so fucking saccharine when i was a kid i would like skip over that section on the dvd and but as an adult i'm like no this is an essential part of the movie i know i love them flying together but that poem is so terrible oh no absolutely It's, It's, it's really cheesy and really yeah it is really terrible but at the same time i think that there's a degree to which there's a degree to which I appreciate what they were doing in, I mean, I think in a sit from a sales perspective, I feel like that's the sort of thing a producer came in and was like, so we need a part for the ladies. And they were all like, he's a hot guy. You know, it's yeah. not a part for the ladies. And they're like, we need a romantic poem. And they're like, all right, fuck it. Yeah, sure. Like, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I think one of the things that they, it still integrates well into, and I think one of the things that, Margot Kidder does really well and it helps sell it because I think it's one of the things that you need to do in making a movie is you can't just have you can't just as a filmmaker like put in a character and be like you're supposed to be in awe of him it's that you have to have characters be in awe of him and her awe her like her like you're just so 
you're so amazing. I'm going to compose a poem while we're flying uh, is I think effective for like really helping sell him as, I mean, so many of their interactions is like you kind of fall in love with him. I think partly because of the way that she does. Yeah, totally. And I think she does call him like a God in the poem, right? Yeah. She refers to it specifically. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting though, because to think about him as, so as like you said, as, as more of like a Moses type figure rather than a Christ-like figure, because rewatching it again too, uh, I thought to myself, there's so much Christ-like imagery here. And sure. also thinking about him as, and what she says is kind of, says like, oh, I'm here to like for truth, justice in the American way. Mm-hmm. And to just also think about, let's say the, the dark undertones of that statement. Kind yeah. Of thinking about like the hideous things that have been done in this country in the name of Christianity. Yeah. And again, like the relationship in this film as like a Christ-like figure. So it's interesting to kind of maybe think about him not as a Christ-like figure, but as like as Moses type. Yeah. yeah. And I think that there's something, so that, that was also an interesting moment. And one thing that I think, so one of the recurring things that comes up with this character, especially for people who are less familiar with him, they're like, he's so cheesy. Like he wouldn't work today. Yeah. Which is what people said, said when this movie was made. And in fact, that's what she's, that's even how she responds when he's like, I'm here for truth, justice in the American way. And she's like, so what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. But, I think it's, and I think people like look at this movie and are like, oh, this movie was just like starry eyed and like ridiculous. And I'm like, this movie came out what, like four years after Watergate, three years after Watergate. Mm. When was Watergate? Was it 74 or 76? I don't remember the exact year. But it was, it's like, we're talking like, like maybe one election cycle from, from Watergate. Like Watergate was in people's minds. They just lost the president of the United States to being like, I'm not a crook. Yeah. History repeats itself. Apparently <laughs> a we little bit this in mid January, 2020. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what yeah. happens. Um, but also like the Vietnam war had just ended. Yeah. We're a decade out. Yeah. Almost. About. Yeah. 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 yeah it, it just like it's 78. And like, when did Nixon pulled them out in 72? Uh, was it that late? I guess it maybe was. it was 70. It was I 70, it was, 72, yeah. something like that. Uh-huh. But like really recent, like very fresh, like uh and lois lane even voicing it like very very fresh like doubt and i think in a lot of ways the the oh, scars yeah, fall, sorry, yeah. fall of saigon was 75 yeah oh okay so yeah, 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 sorry, yeah. really I thought, recent I thought it was like 71 72 but yeah it was only yeah. yeah so it just like just happened and it's um fresh in everybody's minds and like the cynicism that comes out of that era is really like those are the scars that we're still dealing with that lead to where we are today. And I mean, there's more, but like a lot of where we are today with this country and all of that was so fresh then. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, he was, people thought he was cheesy and didn't fit in then. It's like, of course he fits in now. That's, that's always my problem with people. I was, I'm like, yeah, we need that. I was thought, see, it's funny you should say that too, because rewatching it again, all that kind of not naivety, but kind of that this film is dark in a certain way. Yeah. And you sense it in the grittiness of this version of Metropolis, which obviously was filmed in New York. Yeah. And it comes across like, you know, watching this was like, oh man, like ni- like New York in the nineteen seventies, it just has like this grimy quality to yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And it comes across in this film. And in the certain sense of like he stands apart from that. He's kind of 
like whenever you see him or kind of think about him as this kind of figure in the backdrop of the city, there is a certain way in which he kind of like completely stands out from that. Yeah. Just griminess of it all. Yeah. He's like everybody else is in like usually very drab, black, white, gray, maybe some browns. Um, And there he is in blue, blue, red, and yellow. Yeah. Like primary colors, just like flying through, saving cats from trees. I mean, it is, it is dark too. That kid, Get slapped. She gets she slapped. slapped. I always forget that part. I'm always shocked when that part comes back into. It's like, why are you lying? Whap! And I'm like, and you hear fuck. Like, fuck. And you also, there's also that like that throwaway line where Lex Luthor's paramour says like, oh, if I give you the wrong answer, you're gonna hit me in the mouth or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, I forgot like that this film just casually references smacking, smacking women. I was like, wow. Like, like well, late 1970s, this is where we're at. Yeah. And, um, and, and speaking of Miss Tessmacher, which is always fun to shout, um, is uh, one of the things that I really loved rewatching this and thinking about the character and thinking about the differences between him and Batman is Superman wins because he inspires people to be better because he would die if she wasn't like starry eyed about him and like, he's just a good guy. Yeah. And why are, why are we letting him die? And the bad guy is just going to let my mom die, which is also a great Hackman moment. It is a great Hackman. Yeah. Or she's like, but my mom lives in Hackensack. And he's like, he just looks at his watch. Such a great, I love him. I love him. But but then she's like going to Superman and's like you have to save my mom and of course he does and of course that's the first thing that he does and his friends are somewhere else and so of course the first thing that he's gonna do is he's going to 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 keep his word and help the person who helped him who helped him because like he inspires this this sense of like. And he doesn't judge her in that moment either. He's not like, well, you need to be a better person. He just, like, he sees that there's a good person there who needed a moment. Yeah. And um, maybe before also we wrap this up, uh, maybe a little bit something about the dichotomy between, like, Bruce Wayne, the alter egos, right? Like, yeah, Bruce yeah. Wayne and, like, Clark Kent. Um, and obviously they're very on a surface level, they're like very different. So like Bruce Wayne, obviously like the millionaire playboy, like good looking, outgoing. And Clark Kent is clearly, of course, this kind of like schlub, but it's interesting to just kind of think about the presentations of both of those alter egos and to think about what they mean in relationship to the heroes themselves. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that, um, and I, and I think you guys were talking about like presentations of masculinity before yeah. too. And I think that there's some interesting uh, differences there in terms of, in terms of who they choose to be, because in both cases, like, I mean, I guess you could argue that you could argue in some ways that both of them, that, that one of them is, for one of them that the the civilian identity to disguise or the other like i've heard both arguments of that like super, clark kent clark kent is a real person and superman is a disguise and i've also heard the opposite and i've also heard that you know i mean a lot of people it's i like think will Quint- say that the quentin tarantino take on it right what is yeah, it yeah which that? i hate <laughs> what's his take of that that, it, su- that clark kent is like is a, the is like a parody yeah of of what he thinks people are and i'm like i do see in this movie that clark kent is kind of a mask but also I think Clark Kent is who he wants to be and that he's somewhere in between the two of them. They're both a performance that 
the most the most sort of real moment for him real moments for him are when he's like saving people and when he's like with Lois and certainly that moment when she dies uh, yeah, and he yeah. has a he breaks down um but uh I think in both case like Batman has uh, an alter ego that is usually presented as like the direct opposite of who he is. Correct. While Clark Kent is just a different version of Superman. Totally. Like there's in the, certainly in this movie, he's sort of a shy version of Superman and he's, you know, he's very reserved, but he's still somebody who presents the same set of values and who cares about the same things, cares about the same people and uh, is working for other people. Like he, we don't see a whole lot of his journalism in this or we don't see any. Uh, he's a fast typist. Yeah. He's a fast. Yeah, that's all we hear. Uh, Although but, apparently he wrote some sort of story about like corrupt union bosses, and I was like, "Are we really going to slander unions again? Is that where <laughs> we're going?" Oof, that we could have. There are conversations we could have yeah. about uh, movies and unions from recent, uh, recent, yeah, recent, recent months. months. Uh, it's interesting though, also to think about the fact, and just now where you're talking, I was like, "Oh, like." Superman is coded so much more traditionally hetero mm -hmm. than Batman is as well. And obviously I think the dynamic between like Batman and Robin yeah. brings out a certain kind of homoeroticism in that character. Yeah. But it's interesting to think about how in that kind of like very traditional hetero way, like Superman like wears his masculinity like on yeah. his sleeve. And even though obviously they give Batman like love interests in the films and he does yeah. have love interests in the comics as well, that the Lois Lane figure is so essential to the character mm -hmm. in a way that there's no female equivalent to right. Batman. They keep trying to make it Catwoman. <laughs> they keep trying to make it Catwoman, that's right. And it yeah. kind of works, but it... Uh, well, it's also kind of like a totally different like psychosexual dynamic. Absolutely. It's so much more kind of masochistic and yeah. about, like, pain and like fighting and suffering. Absolutely. And the Lois Lane stuff is so much more wholesome and kind of straightforward. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things that they do in this which um, which I think was part of the presentation of the character that has been reduced over time. Uh, and I think it, for good reasons, um, but that there is a conflict that 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 Clark Kent and Superman is like he's his own he's his own uh, competition for, yeah. for 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 this woman that he loves. And she loves both of them without knowing that she just loves the same person. Um, like that love triangle is interesting. But also, it it also is what's the word I'm looking for? It's also just so cruel to her. Uh, like when you think about it from her perspective, it's like, yeah. okay, you're the same person, because well, he's lying to her. I mean, if you exactly. think about it, in that yeah, yeah, both of her love interests are lying to her, but it's just one person. But uh, but like it's cruel to her. But it's interesting from those dynamics of like this difference between. You know, you can think about it in terms of like the different di difference between like how somebody presents and like you know when they're feeling less confident versus like oh you should just be confident. Superman's like the confident version. One of the things I like about what has changed overall about the presentation of the character is uh, mostly in the comics is that she knows now she, and yeah. they're married and and at least the current the last most recent thing that I read they're not only married they have a kid. 
um, together. And I think that also works very well because it works better for her character that like there's because she's such a strong character on her own. Yeah. Which has always been true about her. Like crusading reporter Lois Lane yeah, yeah. is is great. And I think, yeah, I think those differences, I think there are I think there are aspects of Batman where the homoeroticism probably sometimes gets played up because he doesn't have and he doesn't really lend himself well exactly, to, yeah. to that like kind of relationship. relationship yeah. Exactly. Vicki Vale has been in and out. Uh, Catwoman here and there. They'll bring stuff in. And it's kind of interesting. But his relationship with women is a lot more like James Bond. You know, without the sex. Because um, Batman's weirdly, like, not asexual, but in that sense. But, like, he's weirdly non-sexual. Yeah. But... Uh, and I think the homoeroticism also. I mean, there, you could go into the, the whole Frederick Wortham stuff. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, See, did Wortham also come after Superman, or was it primarily Batman? I think it was Other easiest to go like after the Batman comic. and the horror comics, which, oh, there's a whole lot of interesting history of comic stuff. Just we could go into about that. Wortham? So Wortham's book, what was it? The Seduction of the Innocent or Innocence? I um, believe that was, yeah. Uh, I'm totally familiar with the work. but changed the shape of comic books as an industry. Um, I he mean, was like a psychologist. He was a psychologist. Like... He was a child psychologist. He there ended up being like congressional hearings, and it led to the most popular comics in the fifties. Superman was still around. Most superhero comics were dead. Uh, it was horror comics and crime comics. It was cr- comics really mostly uh, geared towards either older children or adults, and they were selling a lot. And then this guy comes around and he's complaining about those. He's talking about how Batman and Robin are in a homosexual, inappropriate homosexual relationship. And it kills EC comics, one of the biggest comic book uh, organizations in the world, which tales from the crypt was a, right, yeah. and, and all of those, it, it ends up killing that because all of the comic book companies in order to avoid government regulation, self-regulated. And also all of the other companies got together and killed EC Comics by setting standards that killed all of their popular Yeah, and books. that's where the Comics Code The Comics Code, which from. doesn't exist anymore. They killed it about 20 years ago. I remember, because I remember when I first started reading comics, it was still on a lot of the comics. I was yeah, reading. in around 2000, Marvel removed themselves from the Comics Code and started doing their own rating systems. And I think everybody else kind of started doing the same thing. I don't, I don't think anybody does the Comics Code anymore because it was also really weird. Like there was weird stuff about like vampires and like you, they could only do this. Like you couldn't have werewolves. Marvel started like fucking around with it in the seventies when they were like, "Yeah, we're gonna have werewolves again. We're gonna have we're gonna have Dracula." <laughs> yeah, so transgressive. Werewolves so, and Dracula. Werewolves and Dracula. But there's yeah, there's that. I think that. I mean, I think it's an interesting dynamic. I think one of the other things. You know, just just since mentioning masculinity, I think one of the other things that I noted watching it this time thinking about that because that was i think one of the notes that that liam gave us to think about watching the movie was leadership differences between lex luthor and perry white there are two scenes that happen one after the other one is lex luthor ordering around his minions and being an asshole uh, in that great way that Gene Hackman does. Ned Beatty, by the way, in this is like such a schlubby number two. He's so good. He's great. And he has his own little theme song. He does. My wife was walking through the room while I was watching it. And she, she sees that and she says, she's like, oh, I love his, I love his song. Yeah. Um, and Ned Beatty always, always amazing. Um, 
And but there's a scene where Hackman is like berating his underlings and then it cuts to the Daily Planet. And it's this scene right before right before uh, or it's the scene that leads to like Lex Luthor like does that like calling Superman over the ultra waves or whatever. Uh, And uh, Perry's like, you know, you got to get you know, I've been in this business a long time. And uh, you know what problem you've got is confidence you need confidence and he starts lecturing clark but it's in this like really like it's not like you know you're really fucking up it's like uh you know you're great but you would be better if let me help you and i think that there was a there's a really interesting like setup i think i'm sure it's not like exactly what they were thinking of when they were making the movie but like the differences between really lex luthor and characters like perry white lex luthor and uh, Superman and how they approach people and like the differences in masculinity. Cause I think that with Superman, it's a, it's a caring man. It's always about caring. It's not, it's not even a fatherly caring. It, it's compassion is the core value. Yeah. There's empathy. Yeah. Empathy and compassion are the core values of being a man for Superman. And then I think, I mean, uh, I'm sure you guys are going to get into this more uh, in your in your episodes about the Batman films, but that um, you know Batman's is a little different. It's not. There are times where there's that empathy, but there's a, there's something about the way that Batman presents masculinity that's very much about it's it's about punishment and vengeance and um, yeah. I think it's 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 very violent. Yeah, totally. And, yeah, and I and I maybe dismissing Batman a lot in this episode, but I, I do love let Batman. Let him have it. Yeah, let him have it. I do love Batman, <laughs> but at the same time... Yeah, again, there's a darkness to the to the character. It's, yeah. They're just very different. Yeah, they're very different, and it's not that... I mean, I I think... I go back and forth in... Uh, I'll always have a particular love for Superman, and then at times I'll also like connect more with, with Batman, but... Uh, I think Superman has always been one of the most consistent ones. And I think, I think it's that sense of compassion. It's the sense of hope. It's that, it's that even stated in here in this movie is his father's like, you're, you're there to inspire them to greatness. Um, which is, yeah, which is, you know, Christ-like in its way or, or perhaps totally. No. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think that's one of the, the things that, you know, talking about it earlier when people, people feel like it, it's like they don't get it. I'm like, they're like, but he can do anything. So where's the, where's the drama? And I'm like, the drama is the, the tension between somebody who has great compassion, great empathy. And these are his core values, caring the Superman cares about everybody. Superman, uh, Superman cares for everyone. Um, that that's the, that's the, that's the drama there. And I think that's what got lost in man of steel. And I think it's what gets lost in a lot of modern interpretations is, is that the point is that he cares. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's hard to care. It is. It is interesting to think about also the, uh, yeah, the man of steel iteration, because a lot of people were very critical of how it seemed like in that movie, like there's no kind of sense or there's no kind of, um, yeah, there's no kind of sense that he, he cares about, let's say like the civilians in no. the city that they're kind of like totally destroying. And obviously he's kind of, 
put in a corner and he has to kind of kill Zod or else he'll kill like these innocents. Yeah. But there's a certain kind of way in which, yeah, that like that iteration is darker. And yeah. And it kind of loses what is potentially essential to him. I think it's very, um, yeah, I think it's very cynical. And I think for me, that's why it never worked as and there are times where that movie is like really beautifully shot. And I get mad partly because I think that some of the casting is great. Like I, I still think that Kevin Costner and Diane Lane as Ma and Pa Kent is inspired casting. I would never have cast Kevin Costner partly because in my head, he's always still in 1995. Yeah. But like, we well, got to put him back in those cornfields though. Like, exactly. Field of dreams. Yeah. Fucking field of yeah. dreams. And like all of that, like, and he was, he was great. But what they had him do as a representative, as a representation, as a father figure, I he think like was a violation. Himself, right? No, he, tornado or something. He, he, tell, he says, "Don't save me." Right from the tornado. Yeah, okay. So, so that nobody knows what what you are. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really cynical, very sad um, interpretation of like how it's like you should be like it's really like saying like you should be ashamed of what you are to the point that I die. Mm. And I'm, you know, maybe that's not exactly how they meant it, but that's certainly how I was reading it. And I think, like, you need to hide. And I think, you know, in this movie, the the advice from Pa, and you know, we only see, we only see Pa Kent in three scenes. Like, one, well, it's, I guess technically, no, I guess it's three. It's like when they get run off the road, when they're trying to fix the truck because they were run off the road, but they found little Cal. Uh, and, uh, which I guess are technically two scenes. Um, and then right before he dies. Mm-hmm. So we see very little of the relationship, but it's very strong between the, between teenage Clark and Pa Kent and the, and the, and the fatherly, uh, relationship that he has. Cause he even references in it. He's like, you know, when, when, when I was younger or when you were younger, like we were like, you got to hide. And because it's when Clark's like, I could I could get touchdowns every time yeah. I got the ball. He's like, I thought you should hide, but I think that you're here for a reason, and I think it's about more than football. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting that he yeah. dies like in front of him, and he can't save him as well. I and that's regardless of all his powers. Yeah. Yeah. That the and I think that's a huge thing for the character is that he couldn't say you can't he. He can't do anything about a heart attack. He could have flown Pa to the the hospital, but he could still have died. Yeah, Nothing yeah. to be done. And I think that was really, I think that's really powerful for the character. I think it sets up something interesting, you know, for the end with, with Lois is like, also in that case, like, what could he have? I mean, I guess in that case, there is something that could have done. He, you know, he goes back in time and, and saves her before, like, the, the earthquake, earthquake, like, kills her. Although the earthquake kind of just doesn't, it doesn't the same stuff doesn't happen it doesn't happen which doesn't is kind matter. of yeah it doesn't fucking matter um <laughs> so any any closing thoughts because i want to also hear a little bit yeah. about your work right oh sure talk about your work and you can plug it but any closing thoughts about this film um i what was uh i feel like there was like what did i have another note oh i just i i noted the first uh after after that framing but the first line of the film uh, that we hear from uh, from uh, uh, Jor-El is this is no fantasy, and I was thinking about this time that this time, and I was like, that's a really interesting. 
it's a really interesting line to start the movie on because yeah. he's talking about he's talking about all the crimes of them but the still the first sentence we hear is this is no fantasy and i think it's a lovely way of starting the film is that you know it's not necessarily that it's reality but that i don't know it it gives it it gives it a little bit more weight um and uh yeah i think i i really enjoyed rewatching the film again and really thinking about it um and also in this context of of uh of what we've been talking about yeah i also want to point out that brando did not memorize that line but somebody was off camera holding cue cards which he was reading, which is so fucking amazing. Like, he's like, ridiculous. He's like, I'll do your film, but you'll give me, I think he got like 11% of the gross. It was something like that. Yeah. It was a lot of money. And he's like, I'm not going to fucking memorize these lines. You're gonna, somebody's going to stand over there with cue cards and I'll just read them. And which is like, eventually, like around that time, that's all he did. Yeah. And I know towards the end of his career and end of his life, he's, he's like. wearing like an earpiece yeah. at certain, like to I get think lines. Some of his lines when he's taught uh, in the, in this movie, when they're sending off the baby are written on the baby's diaper. <laughs> I so remember good. hearing that about like some of it like yeah there are lines on the baby's diaper uh, <laughs> and he said something like you have to f- also film all my uh, scenes within like 11 or 12 days or something yeah like, it had to I'm be like really you. fast yeah uh, which you know I mean he was like one of the big uh, what the Godfather biggest. was what 72 72, 72. 72. yeah 72 and uh, speaking of Godfather film this film story for this written by Mario Puzo yes, which is fucking crazy I totally forgot about that I was like he did so, a fucking run on the screenplay yeah apparently th- there's a version of the screenplay that's like 500 pages long yeah that's huge that's like probably because there was a bunch of writers on this and then I guess they brought in Tom Mankiewicz to like dude like can you make this like something that we can shoot yeah uh, apparently also was campier as well yeah yeah I mean I, li- I like the level of camp in this I like that there's that it takes itself seriously and um, at one point, I don't remember it, but at one point after I was like sort of more in tune with like, oh, Mario Puzo wrote this and wrote The Godfather. I had like this whole thing about how you could argue that the story of Superman and the story of Mario, um, Michael Corleone are almost uh, the same thing. <laughs> there, there's a conference paper there to be delivered. Yeah, I think so. So if anybody has a conference, you need a last minute paper for me to like shit out that nobody actually has to read, <laughs> but I can present you gotta on. You got to deliver it, yeah. Yeah, because I only wrote like the middle of that paper. Yeah. But <laughs> Not only do you deliver conference papers though, but Sean, you're also a filmmaker. Do you want to say a little bit about your work? Uh, yes, I make, uh, I make films about, um, well, what do I make films about? Uh, everything. About it's, life it's everything. Itself. It's about life, man. Um, I have, uh, yeah, I've been a filmmaker for um, about a decade now, which is how I, I met young Mr. Liam. Uh, uh, young Mr. Most- Liam is the name of his autobiography, by the way. I don't know if he, he's told you that. <laughs> he's like two, he has like 2,000 pages already. I'm like, dude, you got to cut it back. 2,000 pages? Yeah, about what? He, he won't stop writing. He will not stop writing. <laughs> is he mostly just writing about his kid? He's writing. I can see 2,000 words about well, the kid. It doesn't even but... appear until like page 1,800. That's why like it's it's just this ongoing project. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, yeah, no, we met uh, teaching film stuff. Um, uh, and um, yeah, I've been, I've been doing it, uh, since I moved here a little over a decade ago, uh, here to New York, uh, or Metropolis. Um, Either or. and, uh, um, uh, a lot of short films, uh, but I also most recently released my first feature, uh, meme, uh, that's M E M E. Um, although some people were like, is it, is it pronounced Mimi? And they're like, <laughs> and I'm like, that's how Bryce Harper pronounces it. Like, no. <laughs> 
It's like, it's Mimi, right? Um, Which is on Amazon Prime. I just saw Amazon it this Prime. morning. Thank it's you. Great. Thank you for watching. Um, and yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's also on iTunes. Um, and uh, also my company, uh, um, I have a small production company with a business partner for Mile Circus. You can also get it directly from us. That version has special features and things like that, like some commentaries and... Um, uh, deleted scenes and things like that. And we'll be putting links also in the metadata, obviously, for this yeah, episode. Yeah, definitely, definitely check out the check out the metadata. Yeah. Get those links. Yeah, get those links. Yeah, uh, click it's on a, those links, people. It's a film about a woman who finds a surreal uh, videotape, a VHS tape. If listeners don't remember what that is, uh, you have a very young skew thing, <laughs> of course. Yeah, uh, but uh, she finds a surreal uh, videotape, homemade videotape. Um, that uh, her journey trying to find who made it, uh, her curiosity about it kind of leads her to changing her life to kind of fi- to finding herself. Uh, and uh, it's a semi nonlinear, uh, often surreal piece. Uh, so it won the best narrative feature at the Art of Brooklyn Film Festival in 2018. And yeah, we just uh, self released it. Uh, in the fall, uh, and if you're a filmmaker who wants to find out about the horrors of self-releasing, um, you can find. <laughs> I wrote an article about it for uh, the Kit Split blog. Oh, cool! Uh, so um, that just went up in December, but uh, it's an interesting experience, and it was also it's also an interesting time to reflect on those sorts of things, just from like the filmmaker, the film business side of things. You know, there's the creative side of things, which um, is. Uh, uh, a lot about what this what this podcast is about, and um, uh, I could go on and on about the creative side of my film, but also like the business side of it. We're in an interesting space where it's changing a lot, and it's a changing for uh, independent filmmakers, especially like ultra low budget independent filmmakers like myself, uh, where there is both more space for us uh, and more opportunity for us. But at the same time, less return yeah. on in a monetary sense. I can get a lot of eyeballs on that movie, like especially Amazon Prime. I think we've had almost with moderate with a moderate push. We've had almost six hundred, I think, people watch oh, it, uh, uh, or six hundred unique. Six hundred and one as of this morning. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's. Like, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity to get your work out there to people, but there's also an, in, you, you, you've got to be willing to like, also like go, okay, I'm going to get a penny. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's, yeah, I think we're in an interesting space for, 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 uh, that and for film in general with the streaming wars that have started. Um, you know, it's like the end of it's like the end of uh, Star Wars Episode Two, except for with streaming platforms. <laughs> it's like it's totally the same thing. Y- Yoda, Yoda is going to turn to us and say, "Begun the streaming wars." <laughs> uh, which I both love and hate. Hopefully, they're more entertaining than those prequels were. Oh my god! But I saw again memes. A really incredible film. Thank you so it, much. Especially, like, I was just I won't, I won't no spoilers, but it goes to this fascinating place. I was telling Sean. Um, where the last like 15 minutes are like this really kind of like beautiful 
fable like qualities come out in it and it's definitely worth checking out um and all the two people that are listening to this should definitely check it out absolutely no i i appreciate that it's one of those movies where uh i know this and uh and i know what it requires from people but you do kind of have to watch to the end for it really to come together because i think if you only watch like the first 10 minutes you'd be like the fuck is this movie about uh if you watch the first 20 minutes you'd be like what the fuck is this movie about? Yeah. But I kind of like these people. And then you watch half the movie and you're like, I think I know what this movie's about. <laughs> and then you get to the end and you're like, that, all comes together, yeah. all comes together. It all comes together. But the fun part is then you watch it another time and you see all the other little things. <laughs> so, uh, I th- definitely deserves repeat viewers. Yeah. As, as a, as a, as a filmmaker, one of my, definitely one of my goals is everything has baked in like repeat viewing mm-hmm. like, do you have like an opt what's it called optimo sign in the back and you're like oh, see sure. that's just actually actually a synonym for acme uh, i blank. do have a bunch of like comic book comic references book in it <laughs> the uh there's a uh in the movie there's the um uh her con the company that she contracts with this uh sort of ridiculous company she contracts with and the name of the company is a is a reference to characters from the eighties version of the justice league. Ah, but what's the company called again? Uh, Carter cord. So it's a reference to booster gold and blue beetle. Ah. Two of my favorite characters from it. There's a bunch of, I think you can't really see it on a TV or it's definitely not on a phone, but there's a whiteboard behind her and all of the names of companies that are listed on it are, um, named after also characters from that era of the justice league. (laughs) Because I'm just like, I need to put some, whenever it's like, I need to put something in the art somewhere or something <laughs> in the background. What am I going to do? I need names of things. Oh, fuck it. I'm going to do some comic book references. I'm going to do all that. Or like. You got to put those Easter eggs in there. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's more for me to be entertained. Um, and there's stuff like how there's little things about like all of my movies are more or less since 2012 all my movies are more or less connected by actually by by this thing this uh symbol that i've got a painting on my wall that i'm pointing at which is a symbol of it's uh there is a a tree of life that's sort of uh, a celtic knot but it's also a tree uh and it's surrounded by an aerobarus uh and i've been using that since a short film i made in 2012 uh and it shows up in almost everything i've done since 2012 and so, or, and, or something with a reference to Wednesday or Wotan, huh. the, 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 yeah, what is it? The version of Odin from Northern yeah. England. Uh, yeah. And of, uh, obviously like a Wagnerian fame from the, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the yeah. ring cycle. Put a lot of, put a lot of that stuff in there, mostly to entertain myself. And then, you know, just in case after I'm dead, somebody is like, I need to write a paper. <laughs> for their for their film class and they're like i found this really obscure like set of films and it's all got the same they shit all seem to, yeah, they all seem to share the same cinematic universe exactly yeah i think my uh, the happiest i've ever been with my films is one time the film that i made this uh symbol for um i i was looking at the vimeo like stats for it and um there was a link from it's from a it's like el espectario imaginario something like that it's a it's a student spanish like um uh an literary analysis magazine like online thing and they talked about 
this short. Oh, cool. Because we were talking about like web shorts and something about, I don't remember what it was about, but I was just never happier than that because I was like, <gasps> somebody wrote like an academic thing about one yeah, of my yeah. one of my films. I'm so excited. And I've like, I haven't won like a lot of awards or anything like that, but I've won a few and I've gotten into some film festivals ne- and all of those were great. And I was excited about all those. Never as excited as like somebody wrote about one well, of yeah, my of films course. as an academic piece. Just it's exciting when people are like watching your stuff and responding to it on that level. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like, so if anybody wants to write an academic piece about one of my films, and you deliver just it at a conference, know. of course. Yeah. Please deliver it at a conference. Well, Sean, thank you again Absolutely. so much for being on Uber Busters. I, I think I still am George Fergopoulos. I might have changed. Uh, but you were at some point. I was at one point Sean Mannion. And this was? This was the Uber Busters. Or Egg Beaters? Egg Beaters, I think, yeah. yeah. The Oof Busters. The Egg, the egg Busters. The egg I mean, you could edit out that last part, but if not, it's okay. You can leave it <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.